Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode 36. With me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. And Scott, before we get going into this, let's thank some of our friends of the podcast. Uh, Brad Hunter with Lit Frames. If you haven't checked them out yet, they are a fantastic product. Um, you definitely want to go check out some of the special trends lights that are made specifically for his frames. There are limited quantities there. And also, Zach and Nicole Many with Flipping Out Pinball. I know that new machines are going to be coming off the line and you're going to want them. So give Zach a call, give him a text, give him an email. He doesn't care how you get it. Especially one of the games we're going to be talking about a lot today is Hot Wheels. And you can get that from him. Just shoot him a text. Right, Scott? That's correct. So today we are going to welcome from American Pinball, Josh Kugler. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic. So it's been a little uh, strange there in Chicago with uh, everything frozen out. It probably throws a little wrench into your release uh, timeline. Well, certainly the, the timing of COVID-19, uh, obviously devastating for everyone, but the timing was obviously pretty harsh on us as we had a mini reveal for lack of a return. It wasn't even a, it was an unintended reveal when the game was you know seen at um, Amusement Expo. Uh, with our real reveal scheduled a couple weeks later at TPF. And between those two things, the world changed and everything came to a screeching halt. Uh, and that certainly, you know, was uh, unfortunate and disruptive. So it sounded like you guys had a big reveal uh, planned. Uh, I heard uh, on your other interview on the Super Awesome Pinball show, again, another friend of the show, uh, you talked about that you had two, I, I think two or three full-size Hot Wheel replicas that people had built uh, to basically show that there's enthusiasm for the Hot Wheel brand and how this is how uh, kids and adults connect to the brand. But that obviously went sideways when uh, we decided we couldn't do it. Well, you know, Hot Wheels is uh, a lot like pinball and the fact that you have some very serious hardcore enthusiasts out there. And there are guys who have taken Hot Wheels originals and turned them into full-size real vehicles. And, and you know, obviously we're working with Mattel and they put us in contact with uh, you know, a couple of folks and we had arranged for one guy who was bringing the cars all the way from California to Texas. Um, and we had two of them because that's what he fits on a trailer. And I want to say it was a rip rod and a bone shaker, which actually, you know, are two of the most note, noticed, note, noteworthy, famous, whatever the word I want to get in there, a Hot Wheels car. So we were really excited because I'm you know, living with these things all the time now. So the, the thought that we're going to get to see full size ones uh, it was going to be pretty exciting. So we had gotten a pretty big booth space uh, with Ed from TPF. One of the things that that I wanted that we were going to have was just a lot of Hot Wheels tracks set up for people to play with. I was going to say kids, but let's face it, you know, there'd be plenty of adults be playing with it as well. And, uh, you know, we had eight games planned to be there. So we had, you know, planned for a really big um, release. Because one of the things, too, that we really strive for on this game was to be you know, starting production when we show the game uh, so that games would be available. So here we were literally starting production when you know the governor you know um, said okay let's everybody go home let's be safe um so we're very you know looking forward to uh that being changed which is hopefully going to happen in a couple of weeks and we can flip the switch and you know the games will be coming off the line so uh, i'm pretty excited about that because you know at least the the end is in sight well before we get the the cart before the horse uh josh i want you to kind of introduce yourself and can you kind of tell us you know your background a little bit and how you end up 
at American Pinball. Sure. Um, I'm actually relatively new to the pinball industry. I've been a pinball player since I was nine years old. I actually had a friend in elementary school whose dad uh, sold pinball retail. He had a retail store and he always had a couple of machines in his basement. So when I was you know, 10, 11 years old, he had a brand new fireball um, in his basement. So I was hooked from pinball from uh, a pretty young age. And you know, I built a game back when I was a kid out of you know, rubber bands and you know nails and stuff and played pinball forever. And I'd always thought about building my own machine. And every once in a while, I would think about it. And you know, it's a pretty daunting thing. And um, it was actually um, through work where I always brought pinball machines to wherever I worked. I always had brought in machines. So everybody knew I was a pinball guy. And one of the guys came in and said, hey, have you ever seen this? And it was a, he had printed out a page about the, the P-Rock, which I had never heard of at that point. Um, and so the P-Rock is what then allowed me to finally, you know, fulfill that dream of building my own pinball machine. Uh, and I did two custom pinball machines uh, that were shown at uh, Expo uh, for a couple of years. And that's ultimately what would led me to American Pinball. Uh, American Pinball had its, you know, uh, rough start at first with with John, and then they brought in Joe to kind of let's let's shift gears and let's start over. And Joe was in need of a programmer, and pretty much everybody he knew was already working. Uh, so American Pinball was pretty desperate, and somebody said, "Oh, you know, there's this you know, guy in Chicago who did a custom game. Maybe you should talk to him." And so um, they got in contact with me. I was basically doing consulting work at the time. Most of my career has been as an executive with technology companies here in Chicago. And I just left one about a a year before that. It was just doing consulting. So I was like, why not? And that's how I ended up programming for American Pinball. That's way cool. Like, I, I don't think I've honestly ever heard that story. I guess my biggest concern, though, I mean, you started out as a hobbyist and you have a love for this hobby. And that's what brought you into it. Has it become one of those situations, though, where, you know, where people say never do your hobby as your job because you'll end up hating your hobby? Uh, well, you know, some people mentioned to that that to me early on. You know, the, the custom pinball group, especially here in Chicago, is really strong. And reality, you're seeing, you know, that impact the, the professional ranks. You know, Scott Denise, he was a custom uh, builder. And um, Eric Pripke, who's now working for Spooky, uh uh, Eric had said, first thing he said to me when I took the job was, he goes, you think you're going to end up hating pinball now? And I always joke with him along the way about it. Now that he's you know, working in the industry, I asked him that. He really had no memory of him commenting that to me. I'd say that the big difference is I play very little pinball at home now. Uh, you know, when you're, you're working on it all day, and I'm usually so focused on the game that I'm working on, that my games at home get very little play at this point. Uh, and I think that's the big change. And there's actually just a local open league here that I've started to go to monthly just to make sure I got out and played some things other than Hot Wheels or Houdini or Oktoberfest or whatever I'm working on. So to me, that's the, the downside. So I always enjoy when I get somebody's having an event or a party because it means, oh, you know what? I'm going to get to play a bunch of stuff because uh, usually it shows I don't get to play very much either. So uh, I actually probably play less now other than the game I'm working on than before um, I was doing this as a, as a job. So when you transition to doing, uh, you know, programming and uh, helping orchestrate the rules, what is your philosophy? Uh, maybe maybe a, a better way of doing it is that walk us through the, the Hot Wheels game and 
I, I see you at a show, I'm standing next to the game, and I turn to you and I say, Josh, what am I supposed to do and how, how can I do it? Okay. Um, well, so I'm not sure which where we're going with the question. So uh, on Hot Wheels, one of the things we, we try to do on Hot Wheels was make sure that it, the objectives are very clear and obvious to a player when they step up to the game. Uh, we tried to make sure we did that with some of the inserts and in the way we, we structured the rules. Um, so, you know, the feedback we got on Houdini and Oktoberfest is it could be a little daunting at first because they're games that are they're very deep and, and there's a lot going on. And some people find that a little intimidating at, at first. Uh, uh, so we want to make sure that th this game was was super approachable, uh, given that we, we want to try to uh, have our games be successful on location so more people get to play our games. You know, to me, that's one of our frustrations as a new company is getting our games out there for people to play them. I'll get emails from people or see postings where somebody's finally gotten to play one of our games and like, wow, this is great. And, you know, how come I've never gotten to play this before? Um, but when we approached the, the rules for Hot Wheels, that was something we want to make sure that it was you know clear and straightforward what to do and that the, the complexity is still there for those who, who want it. Um, and when we looked at Hot Wheels, so you know, each time I've, I've done a game, you have to kind of really look at the theme and the story and, and what it's all about to figure out where the rules need to go. And you kind of look at that in conjunction with the layout and you kind of try to you know, fit those things together. Um, and, and you know, how do those things come together? So on, on Hot Wheels, you know, Joe had been working on the layout and there's, you know, some key elements we knew were going to be in there. But then we looked at it from the perspective of what is Hot Wheels to you? What is Hot Wheels to me? You know, I grew up when Hot Wheels first came out I remember getting them when they were, you know, I had some of the original cars, wish I still had them. So to me, a lot of it was about, you know, the, the, we used to race the cars down the track and the imaginative play. And we obviously knew there's a lot about collecting. So we want to incorporate that in the game. Uh, building tracks was always one of the things I loved as a kid, right? You try and create these complex tracks. Of course, what they have today is so much cooler than when I was a kid, as far as the ability for these, you know, modules that'll keep accelerating the uh, the car so you can do these really complex tracks uh we really want to incorporate all of those things when you approach the game it talks about car collecting track building and then of course we have this element of uh battling creatures which was a new thing to me with hot wheels because we didn't battle creatures when i was a kid but now with hot wheels that's a big part of it for for young kids to play is they have all these really cool play sets with these elaborate things where they fire the car and shoot the cars and so that was something else we wanted to incorporate um, into the game so josh when you go to start coding a game do you have a specific philosophy that you follow when you are um trying to make a rule set or is it kind of more Joe helps you push along that, that way? Uh, well, well, Balser gets involved zero in the rules. You know, Joe's a guy who's very focused on the layout. He'll have a few thoughts, some things he thinks might be cool. Uh, but Joe doesn't get very involved in the rules. Um, and Joe Schober and I, um, on Oktoberfest, now on Hot Wheels, developed the rules together with input from other members of the creative team. And uh, we had Jim Patlon board, who had some thoughts. Uh, Roger Sherp, who was doing the licensing with us, you know, he's given us some thoughts along the way. Um, and so we've had some input from others, but you know, Joe and I kind of craft the, those rules. But what we look at that's really important is we want to make sure that there's something in there for the three different types of pinball players. Um, you have the uh, 
yeah, I'll start with the middle group, which is the collector and the enthusiast, which makes up the largest portion. These people are going out and playing all the time. They're seeking out pinball on location there and they're collectors. Um, you know, then at the one end of the spectrum, you have the tournament guys, the super competitive who study the rules, who know everything, who practice their skills and all the rest. And then there's the third group, which are the the novices, the people who, who when you mention you have a pinball machine, they say, oh, they still make pinball machines. Uh, there's those people or people who are just getting familiar with it on location. And you always want to make sure when we're developing the rules, we want to make sure there's things in there for all three of those groups and that we're trying to balance those things. And so, you know, in the, like Houdini was an example of that when I looked at the layout the very first time and I saw that Joe had put stand up targets, you know, between all the shots. And I said, sure, you know, that's what I'm going to be hitting all the time. And I said, Ooh, we're going to make that a multi-ball because if you're not making the shots, you're going to hit all those little standups and you know, that's, what's going to happen to the novice. So, you know, let's make sure that gets you a nice payoff. So then there's something fun for, for that novice in that case. You know, the other end of the spectrum is the stuff for the advanced player. And, you know, in Oktoberfest, we almost, you know, some people might say we went way overboard on that because there's just so much there strategy-wise uh, for an advanced player. So it's really trying to find the balance to make sure we have all three of those things um, in there. So I'm, I'm looking at the play field and it looks like a, um, basically a fan layout, layout. And I'm trying to see all the different shots. And I, uh, so anything, anything that's interesting about it, it looks like there's one in the middle where it's, uh, is that the Bone Crusher car? I, I don't know the names of these cars, but it's, it looks like a hot rod car that spins around in the middle. Tell me about that one. Right. So, so it is the Bone Crusher. So when we started to work on the game, you know, the, the idea was, okay, this game needs to have speed. It's got to be a fast flowing game. Um, you know, so it is a fan layout because obviously th those can lend themselves um, to that. And it's got a uh, what I call the inner loop, um, which is not quite the inner loop because they actually the ramp is to the left of it the way it's it's laid out, uh, which gives you some nice speed back and forth to the flippers and you know the the left orbit shot actually feeds into a ramp, and then probably the most interesting thing in the game is just funny how these things can can evolve, is there's a set of stand up targets right in the middle of the playfield, uh, which is where that spinning car is. And at one point, originally those were set up in a very traditional way. And then Joe came into my office one day with a, with a layout. He actually had um, three print. It was actually three layouts on a giant, giant printout that he was playing around with. And they were all just about changing that middle area. He was trying different ideas for that middle area. So I actually just came across this printout when I was cleaning out my office the other day. And he, one of these was this idea of these stepped stand-up targets, Rather than them kind of next to each other, they're they're in a tiered shape, and I, I I don't think I've ever seen that before. I'm not one of these guys with the encyclopedic knowledge of games and layouts and rules like some guys, but I don't think I've ever seen that before, and it really creates a very interesting uh, risk reward challenge in the game with those shots because they act a little bit differently than when they're kind of lined up you know right next to each other. So it creates a very different feel in the game. And that's sort of an interesting aspect of it. And the, the key thing about Hot Wheels, and this is something Joe Schober wanted to do. As soon as we started, he's like, this is something I've wanted to do for years, and this is the perfect game to do it. And 
What it is is the tachometer, which is very prevalent right in front of the flippers, is basically indicating the scoring level of the game. You can think about it as your play field multiplier. And as the tack goes up, all the scoring in the game goes up. And you raise the tack by hitting those stand-up targets in the middle, those RPM targets. So it really creates an interesting risk-reward because you know, shooting those kind of targets, especially with them being step, you know, is going to create some randomness with the ball. But it's pretty key to, you know, if you want high scoring, to get that RPM value up. Um, so it, it's a basic concept, but it really uh, creates a lot of interesting activity in the game and, and strategy in the game. Um, so when you increase the RPM, is it time-based or does it uh, stay that high until you drop the ball? Um, it is time-based, so it's always moving. It's always moving down. Every time you raise it up, it'll hold for a little bit and then it'll slowly start to come down. So uh, the tax starts at, let's say, 100,000. And so all your points are based on, on that in some form. But then it, you know, so now it's 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. Every time you hit it, it moves up, it slowly starts to come back down. Um, if you can raise it all the way up where you redline it, it we, we, we kick you into a, a very cool multi ball. And once you've completed that multi ball, now the, the tachometer is a gear higher. So now your scoring is permanently raised where that'll maintain throughout. So if I was at 100K and, and gear in the first gear, now in gear two, my, my lowest shot is at 200,000. And then again, I can raise it all the way up and I can repeat that all the way up into fifth gear. And if you can actually pin it in fifth gear, which would be very hard to do because it gets harder to advance the tack in each gear. Each time you move up a gear, it's a little bit harder to, to move it up. But it's a lot of strategy about you know getting your tack up before starting a multi-ball or before starting a mode. And the spinning car... Uh, spins at a couple of different speeds. Originally, it was uh, it would always adjust. Now we kind of have it tiered, so it'll start to spin once you get to fourth or fifth gear, and then it'll start to spin faster at eighth gear, and then it'll go crazy once you get it close to red line. And that just becomes a good indicator to help you recognize, ooh, you know what? I got to get my RPMs back up if I care about scoring. If you don't care about scoring, if you're more about, hey, I just want to get through the modes, or I just want to collect all the cars so I can get to some of those modes. You know, then you don't have to worry much about the tax. So again, depending on your approach and you know what you're trying to accomplish. So one thing I, I have been hearing that you have been talking about um, on, on like the Super Awesome Pinball Show was the Red Line Mania. And when I hear that name, I parallel it directly to the Getaway because you know that's like the final mode once you get to the fifth. Was that kind of where it came from? Was it just something totally separate that just came along with the Hot Wheels thing? Is there any inspiration from other racing games? Redline's a big Hot Wheel term uh, yeah. in general. Uh, so certainly that was part of it. Um, you know, that's a case where I was not familiar with Redline Mania. Uh, so when it first came up, and then Joe was, he's like, oh, yeah. And, and then we thought that was even a better reason to do it, just because uh, you know, it's, it's a great name. And you know, it's always great to you know, have a call out to an old game. Um, but the original cars are called red line cars and that because they had a red line tire rather than a white wall. Uh, and then there's a, a red line club, which is a very prestigious club among Hot Wheels collectors. So red line was a term we wanted to use and it fit well to, you know, so it's a little bit of using it in a couple of different ways because as associated with the tack. Um, so that's where it came from. Very cool. 
You had also mentioned about the ability to uh, customize, which I think is brilliant. Tell me a little more about your ability to put whatever cars you want in the game. So that was something Balser um, wanted to do right from the start was, you know, he wanted to put cars around around the game and he wanted them to be able to, that you could change, you know, swap in your own so that if you're a collector, you have cars from when you were a kid or just you have a certain kind of cars you like to be able to replace them. So when he designed the holders for those, they're just using a, some kind of a, a locking Velcro. It's not normal Velcro. It's like the, you know, the, the stronger stuff and we'll include some of that in the coin box so you can swap out any of the cars there are five cars on the game um, so you can swap them out for whatever car you want and it was uh you know funny because i was um uh at a pinball event i was talking to somebody and you know they were asking about hot wheels and i said well you know i don't know if that's a game anybody's doing that game but you know he had mentioned he was a collector and he had all of the original 16 cars and he goes, yeah, it'd be great if I could, you know, show off my cars. And, you know, and I said to him, I said, you know, if somebody was designing a Hot Wheels game, you know, the designer might plan for that. And, uh, so, um, yeah, that's something Joe did. And I think, you know, a lot of people will enjoy getting to, to do that, whether it's a you know, car brand they like or just cars from in their own collection. So Hot Wheels is the very first officially licensed game from American Pinball. What made you guys decide to go the licensing route? And why, why Hot Wheels as your first one? Well, we've been looking at licensing you know, pretty much from the time we started, but there's a couple of things we knew, and obviously Joe you know, Balser's been around. So we, we recognize that licensing takes longer to do. It's a longer process, and, and getting the license and working through all the logistics around it, um, working through assets, approvals, and all of that. And so that wasn't really something feasible for our first couple of games because we needed to, you know, be pretty nimble and move quickly. I mean, we did Houdini in four months. I mean, there's no way you do a licensed game in, in four months. And, you know, what's nice about an unlicensed theme like uh, Houdini Oktoberfest is you get to do whatever you want. So I, I was pretty happy doing the non-licensed. But, you know, a license also has some huge benefits. It gives you name recognition. Uh, it gives you, you know, interest in that regard, depending on the license of various assets, um, you know, things you get. And that's one of the things you look at with a license. Am I getting assets? Am I getting a story? Am I getting characters? You know, what are we getting um, out of it? Um so we looked at a bunch of licenses, and what we liked about um, Hot Wheels was I'm very big on uh, timeless themes. You know, Houdini is a timeless theme. Oktoberfest is a timeless theme. And Hot Wheels is a timeless theme. Hot Wheels has been around for 50 years. It is the largest selling toy of all time. Um, we've been talking for, what, about 25 minutes now? So in the time we were talking, um, they just made 25,000 Hot Wheels cars while we were talking. That's crazy. The, 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 when, they shared the, when they shared some numbers with us on the number of cars they make, it was mind-boggling. And, and yeah, literally, it's 25 minutes, 25,000 cars they make. Uh, it, it's a mind-boggling number. You know, they're... They're all around the world. And what's funny was until I started on this, I didn't realize there are Hot Wheels cars everywhere. When I'm at the gas station, there are Hot Wheels cars. I was at a Michael's craft store on the shelves were Hot Wheels cars. I was at the supermarket. They had bins of Hot Wheels cars at the checkout aisle. You know, I just 
wasn't really noticing them before and they're everywhere. Um, and so it is, it's a, a huge brand and it's a huge name. Um, and it's something that we felt had, you know, a, a lot of the elements, uh, again, we wanted to, uh, increase our presence on location. Uh, we, so we wanted something that was very family friendly. That would be good in family entertainment centers. Um, and it really checked off uh, a lot of those boxes. Well, and the cool part too, is, you know, bringing up all these numbers, I think a lot of people from the outside, especially the, the enthusiasts in this hobby, look at Hot Wheels and they go, really Hot Wheels? But when you start spouting off numbers, 25,000 cars made in the last 25 minutes, and it's a worldwide recognized brand. And there's a lot of name to the brand that really brings power to this pinball machine. And I think people forget that they, they look at it and they kind of just go, they dismiss it because it's not exactly what they want. And so it's, it's a wake up call to those people that are in the, that might be a little too far in with their head in the sand, maybe, uh, to this. So, well, I think the thing with theme is, um, you know, I look at the themes that have come out over the last couple of years. There aren't too many themes that I'm like, Oh my God, I have to have it. Right. I mean, there's only a few themes that come along for any of us where that's a must have theme. And then the other end of the spectrum are the themes where there's no freaking way I'm having this in my house. Right. So those are the, the two extremes. So the reality is most of us fall somewhere in between. And, you know, some themes are going to be a little more interesting to us than others. But at the end of the day, it also really comes down to gameplay. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Would Iron Maiden have been the hit that it was, you know, based on the theme or is it based on the layout and the gameplay and the rules? It, right? it Honestly, yeah, it's the gameplay and the rules. It, it's right. obviously the band because the band is the biggest band on the planet. Okay. So all right, there's no talking with you that about it. <laughs> but, you know, if you think about it, going in when you said, okay, Iron Maiden – the number of people who are like, I don't care about Iron Maiden, whatever, who then became interested once, you know, they played the game or saw the game and learned about the game. Right. So I think the key with any theme is certain things are just going to be a complete turnoff for people. I get that. But, you know, hopefully it's what you what you're able to do with the theme and how you incorporate and how you tie it together and bring it to life, uh, I think, is what matters, because if it's well done, you can take, you know, make anything into a great pinball machine if you you know, put all the pieces together the right way. But, you know, I was really happy with Hot Wheels as a theme. You know, again, we wanted to do something that's fast, moves quickly. The the thing with the creature battles was sort of a, a, a happy coincidence or happy bonus, as it turned out, when we were, you know, sitting down working through developing the game, we came across this YouTube series called Hot Wheels City. And the first time you watch an episode, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is really goofy. And then you watch a few more, and, and it very quickly grows on you. There's just something fun about it, the way they do it. And uh, the, the production values on it are actually surprisingly high, having gotten the, all the gory details of the assets. Really quite impressive, uh, the production values behind what they did with this. So it was a really a great series. And we said, hey, can we use this? Because we'd love to maybe figure out a way to incorporate it. And we were actually pleasantly surprised when they said, yeah, you know, we, we own the rights to it. You guys can use it. And uh, it really gave us another element we could add in addition to the racing and track building and collecting this idea of battles. And it worked very well for us to create modes in the game uh, based on battling the, these creatures. And it's just really fun animation. Um, and it really kind of added a nice variety to the game where we have these very distinct 
elements within the game. Although the primary focus we like to think is the race itself. There's a, there's four main shots in the game. Um, well, there's seven shots, but there's four that are the kind of the looping orbiting shots that advance you through the race that gets you to the, the kind of the biggest of the multi-balls. And Hot Wheels is a very multi-ball heavy game. So if you like multi-balls, you're definitely going to like Hot Wheels. Are you going to have something where you get bonuses for having two balls collide like those X uh, Hot Wheels uh, uh, road or uh, whatever, the tracks that they used to have where you'd speed them up and course that was what i always did right so uh well one of the multi-balls is called loop crash multi-ball uh you earn it by hitting the the primary loops in the game uh one of the two loops is lit uh throughout the throughout play once you've collected enough we, we light the left orbit shot for it and we hit the left orbit shot we grab the ball on a magnet so at the start of the mode um, we do a crash like that for you after that, you have to collect pops. And once you've collected enough, we light that left orbit again. You shoot the left orbit. We hold that ball for you. And now you have, I want to say it's 10 seconds to shoot one of the other balls and knock it off the magnet um, and crash into it for the super jackpot. Now, with Hot Wheels, a lot of people have, and I see all over your play field, the iconic thing that you always think about in play wheels is a loop. Now, they have done loops in the past, such as Pinball Magic, where they did it off the shooter. Um, why did you decide not to incorporate that into the play field? Uh, yeah, we, we wanted to get a loop in there, but the feeling was to have a loop that you're not, the player's not really interacting with from a, a, a flipper standpoint. You know, we, we thought it just made it sort of there. So the idea of doing it off a shooter, and we looked at it doing it off of a kicker, uh, you know, and... We just didn't, you know, feel that wouldn't do it. And then Joe tried to figure out, could we do it someplace else and not create ball hangups and not do all that? And he just found that there was no way to really do it that made it special. And he goes, I don't want to do it where it's sort of this, this you know, meaningless aspect of the game. Uh, so that's why it uh, did not make the final cut. You know, he tried in a few places and just wasn't happy with it. It probably would also be challenging because if you did the loop, you would want it in that iconic orange color. And I, I believe the other places that have done something similar, it's more of a wire form. So there's certainly less uh, opportunity for the ball to hang up and it's easier to guide it uh, under a tight turn. So, Right. I mean, I think that, that some of that could, you know, be resolved. But again, not if you're trying to make it so you're shooting it off a flipper to be able to do the loop. Right. And that's sort of how we wanted it verse. You shoot it someplace and then there's a kicker that fires it through. Because the problem is if you if it doesn't make it around, now the ball's gonna get all sorts of places. And that becomes a big concern relative to trap balls. So and that's something you know, we're always very cautious about is okay, if this is this ball gonna get stuck, is it gonna get trapped? And, and Joe tried a few things and just wasn't happy with it and said, Nope, we're not gonna do it. So I want to talk about one of the things I find impressive about this game. I know you guys have sent over video and, and some pictures that we can see that, that you're able to release and whatnot. But the thing that really impresses me about this game is this base game comes with a shaker motor, internal side art blades, this whole package of a game, and you guys are doing it the, this at 6295 MSRP. That is on par with a pro, but you're getting so much more packed into a game. How how were you able to do that? And was that kind of the the point at the beginning of this journey when you started making Hot Wheels? 
our goal was, so right from the start, we did want to try and come in at a lower price point than our last two games. Uh, and, and our goal has always been to let's make a complete game at, at the best price we can do it at. And the Oktoberfest came in a little pricier than we would have liked. It's just, there's just so much in that game. That game is so loaded with with the ramps and the locks and the, the 22 stand-up targets and all the rest. Um and so, so that was our goal. So we went into it, you know, with that in mind and how do we get the most bang for the buck and spend that money wisely. And again, it kind of gets back to that loop. Do you put a lot of time and money into that when it's going to be sort of an afterthought for, for something else? Um, and we put a lot of the money actually is in, we, we, one, one place we did budget a decent amount of money is in the LEDs. Uh, the game has a, a, over 140 uh, RGB LEDs in it. Um, which is pretty much rivals it, I think, with anything else that is out there. Um, and we really do a lot with trying to, you know, use those colors and bring that that to life. Uh, and that's something you typically won't find uh, in a Stern Pro. Uh, you know, the side art thing, uh, you know, we did it on Houdini. Uh, it was an add-on. And, and we found people loved it. People were buying it, and they, they really were beautiful. And I had personally never been a huge side art guy until I saw it on Houdini. And then it was like, you know what? It really does bring a lot to the game. And so it's really been our goal to include it in our game since. And it was a little trickier to do it on this game, but we really felt that was a key thing to really, you know, give that game the complete look. And one of the things this game has that I don't think has been done before is the back panels actually a lenticular image. So it sort of has like a 3D you know, effect to it. Um, and with the, the the lighting we do on that, it's kind of cool. It really brings it to life. It gives it just a little more dimension to it. You know, so there were some things we we did like that to uh, also you know, add value into the game. Yeah, I, I've actually been a big fan of uh, side arts. I randomly bought it for my Simpsons pinball party, and it's just amazing how it seems to tie the entire uh, field together. And so it, it gives you a little more of an environmental experience, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it kind of brightens things up. Um, it really does add something. I'm just sitting here looking across, and the Hot Wheels machine I have in my house right now, first of all, it's in an Oktoberfest prototype cabinet. <laughs> and it's got some Houdini stuff on it. But the next to it, I have the, my Houdini. And I, you know, just looking at the side art, it's just, you know, that color on the inside. We actually have side art on the, the inside of the apron, too. Not sure anybody ever sees that. Kind of looks cool when you notice it, uh, but it does, you know, enhance to the, you know, the look of the game. And the shaker motor, you know, was not our plan originally to include it, uh, and I think we're only including it on the first X number of units, the first two hundred or three hundred or whatever the number is. I forget. And, and that came from two things. One is uh, Jim Patla just loved what we were doing with the shaker motor in the game. He just thought it was great. And so he really wanted to include it. And then we basically said, you know, you know we can't afford to squeeze it in. But I said, you know what? We're not going to do some of these shows. Can we divert those marketing dollars into shaker dollars? Uh, and, and that's basically what we did is we took you know, marketing money from the shows we weren't going to be able to go to um, and turn that into shaker motors. So are you guys planning on doing maybe a topper with this as well? Or is it something that's not really in the works? Uh, I think it, it, it includes like a plastic topper, but I don't think there's any work underway for a, a fancy topper. I think Joe's too focused now on uh, the next game and the game after that. Wowzers, you guys already have two more games in the pipeline going on? 
Well, I think we're always working on a, on a couple of things, you know, in varying degrees. So uh, I know Joe's working on a couple of different play fields. Being a hobbyist and then coming into this hobby, how is it? I, I assume you played Joe Balser's games, you know, throughout the hobby and whatnot. How is it now working alongside him? Well, yeah, it was interesting because, you know, I knew nothing about how real pinball companies operate. I only know how a custom homebrew guy does it, which is you do everything, right? So when I showed up to work the first day, so yeah, I'd met Joe once before I started the job when uh, they had made me an offer. I reached out to Joe directly and said, well, I'd like to take you to lunch. You know, I want to pick your brain. I wanted to talk to him about what was going on and what his experience had been so far. You know, want to do my due diligence. Something, by the way, I'll make fun of that he did not do, which is a story for another day. You'll have to ask him that sometime. We will definitely do that <laughs> okay. uh, about not doing your due diligence. And um, so I came in the first day and Joe had just finished the the first cut at the play field for Houdini. And he you know, printed it out on a you know, full size sheet and he hung it on the wall and he kind of walked me you know through the layout. OK, we got a ball lock here. We're going to have the catapult throw in the ball here. And, you know, Houdini always did his axe on a stage, so we're going to have a stage, and that's where he does his axe. And there's this target here uh, because he always used to hide key, so this is the key target. Okay, there you go. And that was the extent of it. So Joe's like, okay, go, go, go create, go do what you do. So I'm like, okay. And I was, didn't, you know, because I had no idea. Do I do the rules? Does he create the rules? Where does that go? So it became pretty clear right from the start that from Joe, like, you go do the rules, and, and I'm going to do the the layout and the mechanical and, you know, hopefully everything comes together. And uh, so, you know, it took me a little while to, just to get the feel for that. But having done a homebrew game, that was fine with me because I was used to you do everything. Um, so it worked out pretty well. So Joe and I've had a really good working relationship. Um, you know, I'll give him some thoughts and some suggestions when he's working on a layout for things I'd like to see or minor changes I want. So in each of the games, usually there's a few tweaks I'll ask him to make to make the rules work better or things of that nature. He usually doesn't have a lot of requests on the rule side. Uh, on Houdini, he wanted outlane modes because he really liked those on Wizard of Oz, which is obviously one of his games. So uh, he wanted a video mode which was something Keith Johnson refused to do. So Joe was happy that I was open to doing a video mode. And uh, so I think those were his two big asks. And other than that, he kind of let me do my thing. That's pretty cool. I, I think we've lost Scott. <laughs> I, I was coughing and I was trying not to interrupt the response. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what's interesting is... Um, I was chatting with Dwight Sullivan at one of the shows, and and he commented how he'd love to do a, a game with Balser, and and I I could understand that because you know Joe kind of gives you this you know canvas to work with, but he kind of lets the you know the the programmer you know do his thing, and I think that's probably why you know Joe's had a, some very successful games with that partnership. Uh, obviously, he and Keith Johnson uh, did had a couple of great games together. Um, so, uh, I've really enjoyed working with, with Joe in, in that regard. I have two of his games. I have Simpsons pinball party and I have wizard of Oz. So they're, they certainly aren't leaving anytime soon. So I was excited to hear that he was coming out with a new game with you guys and that he has been able to develop games with American pinball and continue his tradition. What's amazing about Joe is, you know, his layouts are all so different. You know, occasionally, if you look, you'll find, oh, here's an element he's used in some other game. 
but he's not they're all different you know some some guys you can walk up to a game and you immediately know who the designer was all right and with joe's games you look at the game and you're like who the hell designed this because there's no set pattern to how he does things and so for us that's been pretty key because we're obviously a small company and it's been great for me because you know i don't want to just keep you know, working with the same layout you know that's really hard to be creative if you've got the same basic thing so um We've really had three very different layouts. You know, Hot Wheels, you know, a little more similar to Houdini than Oktoberfest is to either of the games. So the Oktoberfest was really a truly a really unique layout, um, really interesting stuff on that. But that's been fun with Joe, too, is he kind of gives you interesting stuff to work with. Um, yeah, Oktoberfest, we really had a lot of fun with uh, with all the with all the stand up target banks he created and creating rules to be able to incorporate those in, in different ways. Um, Hot Wheels is a little more of a straightforward, you know, given the fan layout of how, how you approach the game. Well, and that's what I love about Joe Balser games. I mean, like you said, there's certain designers you don't want too many of their pins in your collection because they feel repetitious you put four or five of Joe's games in your, your collection and they're all unique. And so it must, it, it must be refreshing. Like you said, to be working with that because you don't feel like you're working on the same thing over and over. Right. And, uh, and, and, and for our company, that's important too, you know, since uh, Joe's designed all three of our games, you know, it's good that they have that variety that it's not the same game. And, you know, it's funny cause I was reading a comment, um, you know, somebody's talking about the, the rules and they were projecting, oh, you know, Hot Wheels, it'll be like Oktoberfest where you collected steins and now you'll collect cars that give you different capabilities. And I had to bite my tongue from typing. What are you crazy? That's the last thing we would do is just replicate what we did on the last game. You know, if anything, as we're going through the rules, if something even seems similar to what we just did, we're like, no, no, we just did that. We can't do that. Or that's close to what we just did. You know, our goal is to make sure each game is really different and unique. Um, and if you have all of our games, they're completely different games, different rules, different layouts. Um, there's very, very little similarity between them, surprisingly so. And it's awesome. And and it is funny when people start speculating and start making claims and stuff like that. You know, I've talked to multiple people in this industry and, and there's a couple different reactions. You know, there's the, there's the people like, please just shut up. And then there's people that just laugh because they, they make it like a drinking game. Like every time they're wrong, they take a shot, I guess. <laughs> but you know, that's, what's wonderful about this hobby. There's so much wild speculation that even when rumors start popping up, you don't know if they're true or not. You know, you, you can't, right. you, you have to take it all with a grain of salt because you, you honestly don't know what's the truth behind it. So, well, and I have to laugh about rumors because sometimes something is this breaking story and it's like, yeah, a lot of people have known about that for months and months and months. So it's not really breaking. Maybe you're just the first person who felt, you know, that it was your place to tell the world about it. But, um, yeah, it's pretty funny stuff that, that goes on or, and, and, you know, Pinside's hysterical with people, you know, telling you how, how things work behind the scenes at these companies and you read some of it and it's, you know, completely wrong about how things operate. And so, you know, it's, I don't know how much, what goes really goes on at Stern, but I know enough to know that most of what I, I'll read about people say is going on at Stern. It's not what's really going on at Stern. Well, you guys are moving to a, a new facility right now. You actually mentioned you were cleaning up your office. I'm assuming that's to transition to the new facility. Tell me about the reason why you're moving to a new facility and what will that allow you to do? 
well, yeah, this move is taking forever. We were supposed to move over a year ago and through a variety of delays. First, the, we couldn't get the current tenant out of the building to even start demolition or because they basically had to you know, gut the place. And then one of our sister companies, they needed to move in first because of they were their lease was expiring where they were. So we've had multiple, multiple delays. And so we're finally ready to to move in. And uh, yeah, I was actually at my old office this past weekend. I went in when I could be alone to pack up my stuff. Um, so our, we were crammed in like sardines in our old place. So my office, and you can't see that I'm doing air quotes, uh, it was also the conference room. And throughout the time I've been there, more often than not, I've had other people camped out in there, which really not much fun for them when I'm working on the machine all the time. But you know, we've had I've had salespeople camp down there. I had marketing people camp down there. Uh, Jim Patla, who's our, our, our COO, uh, he's he was camped out in there for you know for, for two or three months. So you know, we're, we're you know on, sitting on top of each other. So the first thing we're actually going to finally have enough space to spread out and have offices and be able to have a better work environment. And more importantly, our factory was similar in that regard. We really had to cram everything in. I felt bad for the the guys who work on the loading dock because they spent half the day just moving stuff around to get to stuff because there just wasn't enough room for everything. And we would store stuff at offsite and have to bring it back and forth all the time. So uh, the new place is, is, is brand new. I mean, they've gutted the whole building. So it's been built from scratch. It's huge. It's beautiful. Lots of room for us to grow. Plenty of room for everything. Um, so I'm very excited that uh, we'll be moving there as soon as um, they lift the stay at home. Um, so like I said, I was in, packed up my stuff so it could be moved. And um, hopefully in a week or two, when they open things up, we'll actually everybody will come to the new office. And that's where the line's been set up and we'll be cranking games. Awesome. Well, and I, I can't remember if you mentioned this at the beginning, but um, when do you hope to see Hot Wheels start going into people's homes? Well, uh, assuming I should pull up my calendar here. Yeah, you know, I didn't call the governor before we got on the call to check. So I, I'm not sure if maybe JB's emailed me. I'm just joking. Um, well, we so know I, you have them on speed dial. So right. well, my wife does, oh. <laughs> but my wife has pretty much every congressman center you can think of on speed dial. She's very politically active. Anyhow, so we're supposed to open like next week. They're supposed to allow uh, businesses to resume again. And I think if that occurs, as we're expecting, then we'll be shipping games by middle of the month. Awesome. So the, the games are, you know, we're ready to go. Uh, all the parts are in. Everything's ready. We just have to tell people to come back to work. And, you know, it'll, it'll ramp up a little bit. You know, they won't be cranking out 50 games the first day, but um, they'll ramp up pretty quickly. Uh, Joe does a pretty good job of trying to design the games to be easy to build, easy to assemble. That really was not the case on Oktoberfest, and he got a lot of grief about that from people because it was a really hard game to build because of that huge left ramp and the way that had a mount was, was extremely difficult. This game a lot easier uh, to build, so I think we'll be cranking them out pretty fast. And uh, we'll uh, basically once we know that we're starting back up again. Um, in fact, Joe and I, Joe Schober and I, were talking today. It's you know final punch list time to go through on the code, um, you know, final tweaks, improving things, cleaning some things up. Um, and so we're pretty excited to finally for people to finally get to play the game because it's a it's a really fun game. 
I was just going to say, and we're excited to see this game. I mean, we were expecting to be down at Texas Pinball Festival with everyone else and getting our hands on this game. And it just, it stinks that we've, we've had to delay for at least two months now. And hopefully everything starts working out better now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're all going to be staying at home a lot. You know, location play is not going to happen for a while. And, you know, the nice thing with the price point on this game is it's an affordable game in relative new in box terms with a lot going on. It's a, a family friendly theme uh, and it, it's a it's a fun shooter. Um, I think people are going to really enjoy. I know I have. I've enjoyed playing it a lot. So, Josh, if someone wants to find out more information about the game and also if they want to get that in their house as soon as possible, what's the best thing for them to do? Uh, certainly, if you're interested in Hot Wheels, you want to get with your distributor. You can find a list of our distributors on our website, so American-Pinball.com. And uh, you certainly want to get in contact with them uh, because even at this point, if you're not already on a list with your distributor, you're, you know... You're, you're probably, you know, into early July at the, at the best, uh, just based on I know how many that have already been uh, sold. Um, so you want to get with your distributor quickly. Now, in some cases, distributors will slot you in because some of them are smart enough to buy a bunch, knowing they'll get the sales. Uh, but get with your distributor right away to get on the list because um, games, like I said, should be shipping in a, a few weeks. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you for coming on, Josh. It's been super informative, um, especially for those that have been stuck in their homes and more intrigued about this. I mean, there's there's plenty of collectors out there that are they're salivating at a Hot Wheels pinball machine. And I want to hear more for them, too. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do some streams soon um, of, of gameplay. Uh, I've actually recorded a bunch to share internally with people, uh, so I'm looking forward for folks getting to see it. We haven't finished getting all of our approvals yet with Mattel because we're, you know, getting more into the game while we can. So we're kind of, you know, keep delaying that or saying, okay, hold on, we're going to get some more stuff in there. So we want to load it up as much as we can while we have this extra time uh, to do so. But until they give us their blessing on everything, we really can't show anything. It's kind of a... It's a mixed bag, obviously. However, it's if you have interest, uh, again, reach out to your distributor. It's always good to be uh, certainly on their interested list. And so you can get the game sooner if you are so inclined. Um, again, thanks again. We wish American Pinball all the best. Um, all pinball's good. And we wish you, uh, I guess, continued success because the more we have uh, competition in the market, the more it drives uh, the product. Absolutely. Uh, competition has, I think, been great for pinball. Um, you know, we have an awful lot of companies out there. Hopefully they, they all can survive and, and, and find their, their, their niche in the market because there's been some you know, great stuff going on out there in pinball. You know, for those of us who have been in the hobby for a long time and kind of saw the post-Williams era and, and what went on there, and you, you looked like pinball was going to die a, a quick and, and painful death, um, you know, you know, thankfully Stern kept it alive and now others have all stepped in to kind of take it up to a, a higher level than where it's been before. Totally agree. At least as far as the, the games themselves, obviously. We'd still like to get a lot more players out there. <laughs> so if you want someone, do you prefer people just leaving you alone? Do you, if someone wants to contact you, do you want them to, uh, is there oh. an area? People are welcome to contact me. Uh, as you guys know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, visible on Pinside. Uh, I put my email out 
email address on pin sites. So certainly um, I'm always willing to, you know, if someone wants to email me with ideas, thoughts or whatever, it's josh at americanpinball.com, american-pinball.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not that popular. I get that much email that it's a problem for me. So but, you're just, you know, you're just signing stuff by the, by the bucket load, right? Exactly. Always... Although the first time I was asked to sign something, I, I, I it was a little bit of a, a take back. I was like, really? Um, but, uh, you know, having been you know, somebody who was on the collector side, the enthusiast side, um, I always like getting information from the inside or learning about pinball. So I've tried to make a point of being engaged with the community, uh, you know, to answer questions, share what I know, help people when I can. Um, and part of that's, you know, the whole homebrew thing um, that's out there. You know, the first time I met uh, Keith Elwin, uh, first thing he said to me was, hey, hey, thanks for helping, you know, my brother and I on Archer. And I'm like, I don't remember what I did to help, but if I helped you, that's great. You know, and that's part of the the homebrew community. So it's been great to see, you know, Scott and Keith and, and others, you know, from that uh, Michael Ocean, who's doing work for Multimorphic. You know, people came out of that community now becoming parts of the industry. So it's a nice trend. Yeah, and that's basically where we're going to find the next designers. Uh, I, I'm sure people are just going to be tinkering in their basements and doing homebrews as their resume, uh, because that's the way we're going to see the next generation of pinball designers come about. Certainly might be. And, you know, and even if that's not your aspiration, the, you know, with what's out there today between, uh, you know, the P-Rock system and you know, 3D printers and just the availability of parts and the support of people in that community, um, there's some really great homebrew projects going on out there. And I love when I go to shows and I, I get to play uh, some of these games and there's a, a an active online community of the guys who build machines. And there are people there from pretty much every one of the manufacturers who, who, who participate and pipe in or answer questions or whatever. And, you know, that's a great part of pinball. A lot of people aren't aware. I mean, it's just great seeing some of the games that people are doing, the creativity, uh, the elaborateness, you know, the, the, the Amigos doing their crazy mansion pinball and pin side. I don't know if you follow that thread. Yeah, um, it, it looks, it looks a lot of fun. You know, and, and what I love about that, not just that the game itself looks fun and spectacular, but to me, what's great about that is you got three guys with very different skill sets coming together every single Friday, having a good time together, building a pinball machine. And you know what? I'd love to figure out a way to help more groups of guys get together with the right skill set to do that type of thing, because they're, they're having so much fun. I love that they post as much as they do, that it allows the rest of us to go along with the, on the ride with them. And there's a bunch of great threads on Pinside with, with folks doing games out there. Um, really some creative, interesting stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, Jerry from Multimorphic, you know, hats off to him for introducing P-Rock and bringing a bunch of new talent uh, into pinball. And more importantly, some really cool and fun, unique games that are out there to get to play. Um, and I think that's what I'll miss. One of the things I'll miss most about no shows for the next, you know, three, six, nine months is not getting to see games like, you know, Spaceballs and Doom. And uh, there's somebody working on a really cool looking Mad Max right now that I'm, you know, interested to see. And there's somebody doing a Sonic Hedgehog game. And there's just some really fun and great games out there. There really are. And I'm, my hat's off to the whole homebrew community because those games just look fantastic. I mean, and, and it, you know, it's doable if Jack Danger's even attempting to make his own game. 
<laughs> right. So if Jack can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> but I think he's been, you know, publishing along the way what he's been doing. And, you know, and Haggis Pinball, which is, you know, and I, I guess he's not homebrew because he's he's looking to sell and make the games, but you know he sorted off a little bit in that way as a guy in a garage, and you know he did a nice job documenting along the way his his journey in doing that. So I just you know I always like to encourage people you know to give it a try. You know a lot of people will start; they may not get very far, but you know if you if you're really willing to to try and keep working at it. You know, there's ways to, to do it, and it's a fun activity to do. And you never know. You might be the next Keith Elwin or Scott Denisi or Josh Kugler. There you go. Oh, yeah. That, and I, there's no better way that I, to, to end it than saying that. That is awesome. Yeah, so, that's a uh, perfect way to go out. <laughs> so if you want to get a hold of us, you can contact us at loserkidpinballpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Scott and I are pretty open to conversation, and so is Josh here. You want an autograph? You know, he's his his inbox is just going to be flooded now for in, for Hot Wheels autographs. And do it. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Scott, anything else I'm missing? No, we just need to make sure that uh, Josh gets the Loser Kid pinball hat, and we can yes. send that out to him. Yeah, I, I'm expecting that absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to styling, especially with my my hair being so crazily long right now. Hats are going to become my thing because right. I haven't had a haircut in three months. Okay, well I'm bald, so I don't really feel any. You know, only slightly jealous. Um, 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 on my way there, my friend. Yes, we'll make sure we get that hat out to you. And I want to thank you again, Josh, for coming on. It's very awesome uh, for you to come on. And I know that. You said that we need to talk to Michael about getting our free Hot Wheels pinball machine or something like that. I know exactly, I heard that. Exactly, yes. Uh, okay. You, you talk to Michael, and if that works out, great. Let me know how that goes for you. I'll just borrow it. I'll be a play tester for you. Alrighty. Well, that's I'm, I'm stopping it there. So you want to send us off, Scott? Uh, check us out at uh, loserkidpinball.com coming soon. And also uh, just reach out to us if you want to start the conversation. We are trying to... Uh, put a little more shows out right now just because we want to give someone a, everybody a break since they're not going out and playing pinball but if you have ideas of things that you want to talk to us or even uh, suggestions for us we're always open to that um, either a lot of times if you just message us on Facebook we get it right away awesome alright thanks again thanks again